1: On our last episode, we took you through the wild ride that was the SEC championship, the lobbying to get Florida into the top two of the BCS, and the masterful messaging and motivation Meyer used to get his team ready to do what many deemed impossible. Now, it was time to put it to the test. This is Trail to Glendale, Episode 6, Buckeye Blowout. As was well documented both at the time and on this series, Florida was a significant underdog going into Glendale, with most odds makers placed in the line around two touchdowns in favor of the undefeated Buckeyes. But as co-defensive coordinator Greg Madison notes, the Gators felt confident thanks to a healthy respect for their competition while maintaining their focus and drive.
2: No, I knew they were really, really talented. I knew they had tremendous talent. I had so much confidence because for this team to buy in that much, and even the social things that go on during a bowl game, this team didn't do it. They didn't go out. They stayed, and they studied film, and they were with each other, and they totally wanted to show everybody that we're going to get the national championship.
1: As freshman linebacker Brandon Spikes remembers, the underdog narrative continued to push the Gators to and through kickoff. I don't know. I
0: I think we kind of took it as a sign of disrespect because being the underdogs, like we're the best team in Florida. And, you know, most of the time football, they say, you know, it comes through Florida. So in our eyes, we was like, okay, they got one big game or two big games the whole entire year. That's their biggest game. And in the SEC, you got a big game every Saturday. Like you gotta bring it to the table. Every Saturday or you won't get, you know, what you try you won't get done what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. You won't be able to even get to the SEC championship to keep going on with the BCS stuff or whatever. But we knew that they they had played really not too many teams that had a lot as much talent as we did and just done been in a big game before. We we've played in all those games. We experienced all of that. So we knew we was you know, prepared, in my like that season prepared us for that national championship game. But you know, I, I felt like they they had Ted again at wide receiver. He was definitely a deep threat. But like I said, we had Reggie Nelson sitting in the back end. I'm not thinking about Ted again anymore. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? I'm, it's just that simple. Right? right? I've seen this dude do so much crazy stuff throughout the fall that I wasn't thinking about. I, I was looking at him as some Sean Taylor type you know, Ed Reed already in college. Right. Like, the type of stuff he was doing, man, I, I, I'll never forget, even in practice, I don't believe. I'm like, what? Did he just cover the whole entire field? <laughs> then come down and get a sack? Like, it was just crazy. But, yeah, so I wasn't thinking about again. I think I knew they had, like, a, a, a younger running back. I had played against Vinnie Wells in, in, high, in the um, Army All-American game, so I knew how he was built at heart. So I was telling all the older guys, I was like, oh, if he running the ball, we good. But then they had a high – <laughs> then they, I'm just, <laughs> that's just no disrespect. I just keep it real. Like you can see it on the tape, though. They had played people that was hungry and and aggressive, like how we was how we played. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you. But um, so then they had the, the Heisman Trophy winner, uh, Troy Smith. Smith I, yeah. So I knew like they had some guys, but I just feel like we was just too deep. Like we even had backups that could come in and and get it done. So as long as we played four to six seconds, played hard every play, you know. And just left it all on the field. I felt like we would, we, like we did, and we was victorious. So I, I don't think nobody was really worried about, you know, going to the game until. Let me take this back until the first play of the game. Joey Ehas bangs it away, and this is Ted Ginn Jr. out across the twenty, slips a couple of tackles, and Ginn down the sideline.
3: To the end zone.
0: What a start for Ohio State. Gin took it back. I was like, okay, all right. Maybe we did underestimate these
4: guys.
0: <laughs> but after that, um, yeah, after that, everybody cooled down. I think we got the jitters out. And we just made it happen after that. We just started putting our foot up there, but.
2: When I sat there in the kickoff and we were ready to roll in a whole shot, and I saw Ted Ginn Jr. run right passed me about five feet I wanted to go out and tackle him and saw him go for a touchdown I said to myself oh my god and and then for our guys to come back and play it, it
1: was special junior Brandon Siler was the clear leader of the defense and sometimes even the coaches need to be reminded to look at the big picture when adversity hits
5: Before the game, me and Urban would meet, kind of, and discuss kind of just a few little things that you know we got going on in this game, what we think it's going to take, and da 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 da. So me and Urban basically did that, and as we did it, the kickoff comes, and you know they hold Reggie and Gib runs it back, and Urban is going ballistic.
6: Yeah, he's holding
5: you. And I walked over to Urban and I grabbed his arm and I said, Hey, I didn't want the mother to go either. But if you can't score more than seven points, then we don't deserve to be here. And he looked back at me and he picked up his headphones, put them back on and pulled his mic down. And then we went on about our business. <laughs> but 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 you know, it was kind of one of those ways, and that kind of explained how me and Urban relationship really was. You know, we had a great relationship, and we kind of had one of those relationships that was just like, you know, that other person's gonna just tell you what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like it's gonna be what it is, and you can't BS them. You know, because look, this is the straight shot. You know, and uh, my goal was I thought I was gonna pitch a shutout. There's no way they're going to score against us, you know, and that was what I thought, you know, oh, there's no way they're going to score against us. There's no way they're going to score, so if you score seven,
1: you got this one. Oh, well, well, now you got to score more than seven. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the Ginn return may have electrified the overwhelming majority of the fans in the stadium, but the Gators stayed calm and stuck to the plan, which started paying dividends immediately with a long kickoff return from freshman Brandon James.
7: First play, it's like, oh my God, they might be a little better than I think they are. <laughs> and uh, you know, me being me coming out on the field, like, man, I'm in the national title team, I'm in the national title game. Hey, let me show that I can do something too. And being able to have a big return, being face mask, set our team right back up in great field position. And I remember uh Brandon Siler again, one of him being my one of the biggest fans at the time, him meeting me halfway on the field, like I told you, I told you. And uh, from then on, man, we controlled the rest of the game. And uh, that was a big play for me because, again, I'm in the national title game, and I was basically one step away, one face mask away from scoring. And, again, all those moments never work out for me because those are moments that I already have predetermined things in my head. Like, if I get in this end zone, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z.
1: (laughs) With James setting them up in prime position for their first possession, the Gators wasted no time on a seven-play, 46-yard drive capped by Dallas Baker.
3: Second and three for the Gators now. At the 14-yard line, the ball is on the left hash. An empty set backfield now. Baker to the left, and Leak looks to throw the ball to Baker, and it's going to be caught, and it's going to be in there for a touchdown! Dallas Baker, the touchdown maker, all alone! And the Gators score on their first possession.
4: You know, this is going to sound crazy, but I swear to you, it's healthier for the Gators for this whole game to put together that drive than to have a single uh, kickoff return. That was a great drive. Ought to give him confidence. Corner came up. Let Dallas Baker slip behind him. Safety couldn't get over there quick enough. Chris Leak saw it. Threw it right to Dallas Baker. Easy touchdown.
1: As senior Chris Leak recalls, that quick and defiant answer to adversity supports the idea that the Gators simply didn't have a panic button. Uh, I'll tell you what. There was never a panic with the team.
8: And even after the first, uh, the opening kickoff, there was never a panic on the sideline from anyone. I even go to our players, obviously our coaching staff, even the the our medical staff, our our trainers. There was never any panic on anybody's face. This was, this was just something that this was just a part of the game. We knew there were we there were we knew where are were a great team because you have to be a great team in order to be in that game. So I expected my expectations were a shootout for the game. And you know, that it could be, it could be one of those forty two to forty eight type games, you know, or more. So I expect that's what my expectation was. And so going into the game, seeing an opening kickoff ran back was no surprise for me. They got they had great players, we had great players, and we were both gonna make plays.
9: That
2: group would never have an oh no. That two oh six team would never think that way. Me as a coach, because I've been in a lot of places and all that kind of thing, yeah, you
1: have that because they knew what they were going to do. They had no doubt. Having quelled the crowd and gotten back on even footing, Florida's defense started showing its force the first time Ohio State's offense took the field, with a quick three and out that returned the ball to leak in the offense around midfield. Much like that first series, Dan Mullen called a methodical drive to reach the end zone in just five plays.
3: Now Harbin comes in motion. There's the snap to Leak. They're going run the option to Harbin To the left. Harvin trying to turn the corner to five. Down near the goal line. He's in! Touchdown! Percy Harbin And the Gators have scored again as Florida leads Ohio State
1: 13-7. With one quarter in the books, Florida had both a 14-7 lead and Leak was a perfect 8-for-8 eight eight through the air. For the senior quarterback, the success validated the countless hours spent studying film and the 30-plus days he had to prepare. First
8: drive of that championship game, I, I just I remember vividly that they probably blitz more in that first quarter, uh, more than they probably did the, most of the most of the season. But I was able to recognize it through having those thirty days to prepare and be able to check protections and get us in the right play, check us into the right play. And and our drives uh, sustained and continued. And uh, I think Coach Mullen did an unbelievable job with the game plan, with the with the play calling that game, and getting us in the right position. And the you know, and different looks for them defensively, and uh, the way he used Tim in different aspects. And were, at one point, me and Tim were on the field at the same time, and we gave him you know, kind of a I wouldn't say a trick play, but it was a, definitely an unorthodox look for Ohio State that they haven't seen us do. So we we mixed it up a bunch in that first quarter and we were able to have a a, a lot of success um, in the passing game which well, I felt like heading into that game I could I could be very successful
1: in throwing the ball. If the Buck guys were surprised by what the Gators had in store for them in the first quarter, they had another thing coming in the next 15 minutes. As Florida opened the quarter by cashing in a mammoth 10 play 71-yard drive to go up
3: 21-7. Chris Leak under center. 3rd and goal. Just outside the two. There's the snap leak. Hands it off to Win. Wynn. Wynn running hard. Getting down to the goal line. Twisting his way in. Touchdown! Touchdown! Deshaun Win is in. And the Gators lead 20-7. to seven.
4: Straight ahead. Pure power. Two tight ends. Three backs. Just blasted straight forward. And I I would bet money that Urban Meyer, in his mind, said, all right, we finessed them. We fooled them. Now we're going to stick it right down their throat and show them we're tougher and stronger for that touchdown. That was another statement by this Gator offense.
1: The orange and blue were dominating, but Ohio State wasn't going away quite that easily, answering back with a blink-and-you'll-miss-it four-play, 65-yard scoring drive, which cut the lead to 21-14. After both teams traded punts, the Gators started to wear the Buckeyes down by keeping the ball and controlling the clock, leading to a season-best 43-yard field goal from senior Chris Hetland to go up 24-14. On OSU's next possession desperation started to set in, with Jim Trestle taking a huge risk by going for it on fourth and one from his own 29.
3: All right, fourth down.
4: He's getting ready to be either real smart or real dumb.
3: Fourth and less than a yard for the Buckeyes. They're going to hand the ball off, and here's Wells in his second effort, getting very close to the 30-yard line. And let's see, the pinning on the spot of the ball, it is very, very close to call. I don't know if... Yes, sir. He didn't make it, and the Gators have stopped Ohio State. Oh, my! Gators football inside the 30-yard line.
1: This led to another 40-yard field goal from Hetland, which is remarkable in its own right when you consider he went just 4-for-14 on kicks during the regular season, but managed to be perfect both times his number was called in the biggest game of his life. The lead sat at 27-14 with under two minutes in the first half. And the Buckeyes were under tremendous pressure to score before the break, especially with the Gators set to get the ball to open the third quarter. But pressure is the optimal word here, because that's what Troy Smith felt on the very first play of the ensuing drive.
3: Troy Smith, at quarterback, dropping back seven yards, looking, looking, and finding some heat, he'll be hit and he'll be dropped, he loses the football, it's a fumble and picked up by the Gators, Derek Harvey, oh my! Gators take it away, they've got fish down
1: and goal to go! The Gators smelled blood in the water, and they trotted out Tebow to try and hammer it home in a series that started from the five-yard line. After two smash-mouth runs up the gut, Dan Mowen had another perfect call up his sleeve on third down.
3: Can the Gators get a surge? Can the O-line knock them back? Third down, goal, one-yard line. Caldwell goes in motion. There's the snap to Tebow. Tebow rolling left, going to throw the ball. Wide open receiver! Touchdown, Bubba Caldwell! Oh, my! his fifth touchdown pass of the year, and the Gators score again. And it's now 33 for the Gators and 14
4: for Ohio State. What a nice call that time. Caldwell was on the right, went in motion across Tebow's face. Looked like Tebow was trying to run the sweep. Caldwell just kept going in the flat, out to the left, and Tebow charged the line of scrimmage and just flipped it easily to Caldwell for the touchdown.
1: The Buckeyes were shell-shocked heading into the locker room facing a 34-14 deficit and getting dominated in every phase of the game. It wouldn't get any better for them in the second half, with the defense locked in and making the Heisman Trophy winner look like a bench warmer. Nothing exemplified that effort better than Earl Everett's famous sack of Troy Smith early in the third quarter.
3: Ohio State was one of five on third downs in the opening half. Third and 12 at the 48-yard line. Twins left, twins right. There's the snap to Try Smith under a blitz from Siler. He steps up and avoids the blitz and looks for a grand run, but the Gators are going to make the tackle anyway by a helmetless Earl Everett, who came in there without the headgear and made the big play. Oh my!
1: Here's Brandon Siler. Well, it's funny because everybody remembers that play with Earl, but do you remember
5: how Earl got there? He actually picked Earl up on that blitz. I acted as if I wasn't coming and waited on it to open up and went full speed at Troy Smith. And actually that question in my mind was running through my head as I got this blitz because I knew they wasn't going to be able to pick me up. And I, I false up and I went. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the national championship. I got a choice here. I could break down And make sure that I get him down or I can take my one shot and try to kill him (laughs) and just knock his head off. And, of course, me being me, I said to hell with it. I'm going to take my shot, try to kill him. And he sidestepped me and had to get out of the pocket. And Earl came off of his block. The blocker ripped his helmet off. And then he hit Troy Smith. So everybody remembers the famed play as a huge success for Earl. But for me, it was kind of <laughs> the, play that, it was the play that I made the wrong decision. I right. just broke down on a happy sack in the national championship, you know. But it all turned out all well then. So, you know, you got to take it for what it is.
1: While the defense dreamed of a 60-minute shutout going into the game, they gladly settled for one in the second half keeping the Buckeyes off the board and holding them to negative yardage and only one first down after halftime. Brandon James remembers a number of the veterans on defense promising to give Troy Smith a night he would badly want to forget. That, that week, they had said, I
7: mean, Moss and all those guys that already said, we we're going to be on him all night long. And he couldn't drop back without one of those guys touching him. And uh our defense played a great game. Offense executed big time. my Tebow, uh, Tebow and Percy had some success um and they couldn't stop us and you know they couldn't block us as well so i remember that just being a game where it it really looked like we were just far superior talented better than those guys were it it wasn't even close in my opinion as far as the talent that was on the field we looked way faster way stronger um you know way more sound offensively and defensively and special teams uh and again man that that, all that is a testament to coach meyer and the whole staff and how they prepared us for that game but i think that our, the way that we prepared up to that month was
8: really what re- is what really set us apart. And our defense, especially our front seven, played an unbelievable game. I think one time, maybe maybe a few years ago, I just I went back to watch the game because during the game, you really never get to just watch your defense play. And uh, I, it was it was a treat. I just I, I cut on the game just to reminisce probably a little bit. And I just I just watched the defense and this the game that they played. Um, the positions they put our special teams in and the offense the, the way, where we got the ball in the field position was it was a it was a brilliant brilliant game that they played Coach strong, Charlie strong and um, uh, coach Madison, the game plan that they called was uh, it, it was definitely unbelievable and and it was, it was it was really incredible. but that game, I tell you the the memories that that I got was the calmness on the sideline, the focus that we had, the resilience to that team. it all came together to me really that game. The best of that entire season came together in that one game. I think you saw what that team was really about. All the way to Earl Everett's tackle, his sack on the, uh, with no helmet on. That was the epitome of that team. The, the resiliency, the, the toughness, the, the leadership that we had on that team.
1: Given the flashes they had shown throughout the year, it wasn't shocking to see how good the defense could be. What was much more unexpected was the way the offense came together showcasing a balanced and dynamic attack that few could have seen coming.
5: And that was our best offensive game that we had all season. I mean, our offense wasn't by far the smoothest in the world um, because it was a mix of Irvin trying to do things that was Alex Smith-esque with Chris Leak. And it's just, Chris was more of a drop-back-throw quarterback. He wasn't with doing all that, and that's where you bring in Tebow for some of that. But Chris Leak was our our quarterback, you know what I'm saying? So um, so he couldn't do those different things because it was just a different style, you know. But in the championship game, that was the one time it all came together. Um, I don't think in any of those games before, we can say that we played nearly as well as we played on offense in that championship
3: Fourth and goal, one-yard line. Off the left hash to snap to Tebow, trying to run to the right. He's in! Touchdown! Touchdown, Tim Tebow! And the Gators have put 40 on the scoreboard. It's 40-14. to
4: Nick, turn out the lights. The party's over. That is just the nail in the coffin. Tebow took it off the right tackle, got into the end zone easily. Great blocking by all involved. Offensive line, lead backs, Billy Latsko, that's it. That's it.
1: At the time of that Tebow touchdown midway through the fourth quarter, Lee McGriff stated what most in the stadium had long since realized. This game was over and had been for quite some time. All that was left was watching those final moments tick off the clock.
3: Five seconds on the clock. Celebration long underway. The Florida Gators have won the national championship here at the University of Phoenix Stadium in Glendale. The underdog Gators totally dominate Ohio State on offense, on defense, on special teams, following Urban Meyer's plan to win to perfection. And the Gators win their second national championship in football, win their second school national championship in less than 12 months, and become the first ever program to hold the national championship trophy in football and in basketball in the same calendar year. Oh, my. We've watched history here tonight.
8: Two words came to mind for me, and I was mission accomplished. And for that entire 2003 recruiting class. That's what we came there to do. And uh, obviously we had a lot of help from all the other recruiting classes that came along. Um, but those was 22 seniors on that team. Uh, it was a very, very special unit. And it's one of the things that I, w- I will always cherish with, uh, with my teammates, uh, especially those seniors that year is because we, we all went through a lot of adversity to get there and it wasn't easy. There was a lot of, uh, uh, tears and a lot of, um, uh, things that happened that, you know, stories and personal things that happened that every guy went through that was tough, that where they could have not have persevered uh, to that point. And uh, so it, it was it was a really a wonderful uh, moment that I felt that we all shared together. And uh, I, I mean, it's one of the moments I cherish the most from my from my playing career is when you see all these things come together, when you fight all the ups and downs, the ebbs and flow of the game of football. It's a game of emotions and adjustments, and we were able to withstand all those things and all those four years together and um, have each other's backs, and like I said, at the end of the day, it was mission accomplished, and uh, we were very blessed and fortunate that we were able to be in that position, and to be in that position and also take advantage of it when we had the opportunity.
1: The overwhelming fashion in which the Gators accomplished that mission was surprising to virtually everyone, including Meyer himself.
9: I did. I was. I, I had so much respect for Ohio State and their personnel. And, you know, what, they had a Heisman Trophy winner. They had Beanie Wells at tailback, had, uh, especially that offense to the hold them. We held them, I believe, to 70 yards total offense and had eight sacks or something like that. And, you know, the defense completely dominated the game. And then to systematically roll up the yards and offense, I thought it was going to be a great game. I actually believed as we got closer to game time, we'd win it, hmm. but uh, not not by that score.
1: To see the Heisman Trophy winner complete just four of fourteen passes and an undefeated team fail to break triple digits in yards would suggest they ran into a buzzsaw that everyone knew was charting a championship course. But as the voice, of the Gators, Mick Hubert remembers, that was hardly the case. We kept
6: things in front of us and didn't beat ourselves, and then we really put it all together in that championship game. I mean, we were we were so badly outnumbered by fans. It might have been, uh, if not 3-1, to 4-1 to one, Buckeyes versus Gators. And, and, and the oddsmakers had them as a prohibitive favorite in the game. And it certainly looked that way when they ran the Ted Ginn, ran the opening kickoff back with that touchdown. And right out of the gate, we're down seven to nothing. But who knew that would be the highlight of the day for Ohio State? I mean, from that point forward, which was virtually 59 minutes, you know, we just dominated the game. I mean, uh, we we held them in check. They couldn't do anything offensively, and meanwhile, we were we were getting our offense rolling. And we, you know, we had other than the, the the game we walloped Western Carolina, we we shut them out like 60 to nothing. But other than that, it may have been the Ohio State national championship game, one of our widest victory margins. It was a it was a total team effort and a complete offense, defense, special teams coming together. So that's my memory of that season is the utilization of Tebow in certain situations. With, in my opinion, really being Chris Leak's team as the quarterback. But with the talent we had uh, offensively and defensively, I mean, we were loaded. Uh, That was kind of the way it was. I mean, I don't know that, I, I don't know, even though we'd lost by 10 points to Auburn and never lost again, I don't know at any point in the season if I remember thinking that we're watching the national champions play. We knew we're a pretty good team. But I don't think anybody would really say that. Oh, yeah, this is a team. This this team is made to to take it to the distance. Sure. You know. But we just kept playing and playing, and like I said, we kept things in front of us, and we didn't beat ourselves, and we we're well coached, and we had good talent, and so uh, that that's kind of what all kind of came together that way.
9: You know, I, I've never been. You know, we we were undefeated at Utah and finished, I think, third or fourth in the country, and had never won a national championship. I know I used Billy Donovan quite a bit that summer to meet with our team about. The championships uh, attitude in the locker room, the selflessness. You know, if you remember back to 06 basketball national championship team, no one averaged more than 13, 15 points because every different, every game, there's a different scoring leader. And we were, I think, number one, the NCAA insists. And so we kept using them as the focal point of the ultimate team. And so we never worried about, because I, first of all, I didn't know. I, I didn't know what a national championship team looked like. And it was not, if you remember, I mean, we barely beat South Carolina with Jarvis Moss blocking the field goal. We, mm-hmm. we had a couple close calls. And because we, to say that that was the most talented team in America, I'm not sure. It was the best team in America by the end of the year, but we never,
1: it was much different than the 08 team. 08 team, you kind of saw it coming. For redshirt freshman receiver David Nelson, proving the doubters wrong on the field served as an opportunity to learn a valuable life lesson along the way. When
8: somebody tells you you can't do something for so long, the natural tendency whenever you prove them right is to just think to yourself, oh, I guess they were right. Right. Oh, well, they, that's what they were talking about. But like I said, so, so I'm saying that refusal to be denied, that refusal to accept what other people are saying about them, what other people are, are saying to be true and you know, taking it into our own hands. Uh, that was something that not only was it was it really special for, for me to be a part of just in the sports environment but it was something that i've taken with me and i've applied to my life just as a father as a husband um just as a man now you know what so many people in my life are telling me i can't do things they're going to tell me that i'm not capable of something or not telling me or and then in some ways i may prove them right but that does that's not always the end of the story mm-hmm. you're not you're never counted out until you count yourself out
1: years before miami had the turnover chain. The Gators had a chain of their own, which hung around the neck of Brandon Siler. But unlike the used version that seems mostly to be about showing off, Siler says his was much more symbolic about the DNA of the team. How much do you trust the guy
5: next to you, right? How much do you believe that that guy's going to be given 100% next to you, right? Mm -hmm. He said, if we run, if you and 11 guys run at this wall, the hardest that you possibly can, we will knock that wall down and nobody will get hurt doing so. He said, but if one of the 11 has a little bit of doubt that one of you other guys ain't going to go at a hundred percent and he ain't going to go at a hundred percent. And if that one person goes 90% or 75% because he's afraid of breaking his neck, because he don't know if everybody else is going to go on a percent, then he's going to be the one that makes all of us break our necks because we're going to hit that wall and everybody's going to break their neck. He said, now, grab a hold of the guys that you think that you trust to run through that wall at a hundred percent. And when we all can grab each other's hand and we all can run through that wall at hundred percent, then nobody can beat us. And I, and I, and that was what my chain was about. What the links on that chain was you only was as strong as your weakest link. And me and, me and urban had a lot of arguments about that chain. I didn't want everybody on the chain and urban just from a philosophy standpoint, He wanted to get everybody on that chain by the end of the year, and I wasn't having it. He was, you know, slow. Like, when we first started with the chain, it was all kind of different tests that you have to pass or you have to do to be able to get on that chain to prove that, you know, if you was our weakest link, we still was this strong. Well, as the season went on on that last year, uh, you know, Urban kind of tried to make me start putting guys on that chain faster to kind of get what we needed to be by the end of the season. And we used to fight all the time about it. I'm not putting that star on the chain. I don't trust (laughs) him. And we went back and forth and we just used to, me and Irvin used to talk it out, you know, in ways and get to basically what we needed to get to. But by the time we got to the SEC championship, everybody was on the chain and we felt pretty much invincible, you know, um, like we was a family. We was a team. We knew each other because we hung out with each other, I would actually throw mandatory parties that I would make everybody go to. So, <laughs> you know, I would make everybody come to the house and go to the party with me because, you know, I felt like we needed the party as a team. You know, I, I didn't like one of the things, where what would happen, you know, you have five guys go here, six guys go there, seven guys, and that spoke to the little groups that we had. By the time we won that championship, going out, 40, 50 guys at a time. We were going to the same place. You know what I'm saying? So not only did we play football together, but we also was a family by the time it was time. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So we all knew each other. We knew those little things that make people go. You know, somebody like Derek Harvey and, and and Cornelius Ingram, they were two peas in a pod, and they pretty much hung out to each other. Well, when Derek Harvey, you know, gone into his little zones and, and, and nobody would, you know, know how to motivate him in a certain way. I was good enough friends with him where I could talk to him and knew what made him go, you know, and that was individually done with everybody on the team. Marcus Thomas, Ray McDonald, um, Jarvis Moss, you know, Earl, I was roommates with Reggie at one point. Um, so I I knew all of them on an individual basis and, I know that I was ultimately the leader of that team, right? I couldn't be a captain, right? Because Urban only let seniors be captains, which was the biggest bull I ever heard in my life. But that was, that was how it was. So I know it was captain, but I definitely was the leader of that team. The one that had the most influence, the guy that, you know, when I talk, people listen. And a lot of that is I fought like crazy and, and that kind of stuff. Um, to try to get to that level where everybody respected me and everybody knew that I I had everybody, you know, best intentions for, you know, I wanted to win. I wanted to win a championship
1: and that's going to make all of us get to the dreams that we needed. You know what I'm saying? Dan Mullen references the Gator standard all the time, which is best defined as a sign of excellence established not just by the two football championship teams, but by the other unprecedented successes permeating throughout campus during that remarkable run.
5: You know, during that time, it's just like, it, it couldn't have been any better. You know, you're going to basketball championships, you're going to football championships. I think baseball went could the championship yep. that you know one of those years i mean it was just like bang bang, bang. I mean, it was just a great time to be a gator and i don't think it happened by accident i think what happened is you had two classes of guys that were definitely different than most guys our, our class you know where they where they make you basically take that class where um, you come in and summer b and you take that class before with all of the athletes i mean the amount of talent that we had in that room was ridiculous you know when you talk about all sports throughout the campus you know we had crazy crazy athletes in that room and i think a high high percentage of just that room went pro just from that summer B class where all the athletes coming in there and meet, you know, you got, you got Al, Joe, Corey, all of these different guys in that same group. You know, when I got there, the culture wasn't where it was at during those years that we had. And that was uh, credited to a change in attitude and all of us, should hang out had on being proud of that. I was the leader of that team. Um, but you also had Urban Meyer that came in and changed the culture. Um, you had guys that had to give up a lot of things in order to like uh, Chris Leak and the spotlight with Tim Tebow and how he handled all of that. Um, you have guys like Reggie Nelson that had to transfer in from other schools, him and Joe Corn. I mean, there's, you got monks that had to go through the bone disease that he had, Uh, you know, Derek Harvey not playing much at all when he first got there, uh, going into a first-round draft pick. we got guys like Marcus Thomas who didn't even get to experience the run, who still doesn't have a championship ring. Somebody need to get that boy a championship (laughs) ring. He was the best player on our team, And, and, and he got caught up in doing something that, you know, he probably regrets still today. But he was very much a part of our championship team, but you have that kind of struggle. You have Dallas that steps up and, and was the voice for our offense. So it's just so many different things, there's so many different dynamics that we had on that team that that group brought, and then basketball, you know, them guys coming in and and they ultimately brought that family vibe to the university. You never saw one of those guys without the other. You know, and that was crazy. You never saw one without the other. They was always together. They always hung out together. They knew each other inside and out. And when you have people that's that close on a team, you know, it's hard to stop. We changed the culture and we changed the standard. We changed to the gator standard. And, you know, now when we go back, we try as much as we can to try to influence and try to explain what that is to guys. You know, Mullen brought me back to talk to the guys And it's you try to make them understand what that's about and you try to make them live up to that. But when you look back over your shoulder and you realize that, you know, we celebrated 100 years at the University of Florida football and we got three championships. And and I literally was a part of two out of those three, basically, even though I wasn't on the 18. I felt like I gave a lot to that. 18 both in, in, in showing an example and basically recruiting a lot of those guys to play for us. So I do, I, I, I love everything that we, we did and it is, it's, it's something to be proud of and all of us should be proud of what we did.
1: As for the legacy of the 2006 championship team and the ideals they represented, we'll leave the final word to the head coach who in just two years time led the wandering Gators to the trail to Glendale.
9: Well, they'll go down as obviously one of the three national champions at that time, the only second national champion. And is like I said, that wasn't a preseason number one team. That was a team that found a way to win the outback bowl in a very close game against Iowa the year before. It was a team that lost a coach. That they, they thought so much of, they loved so much Ron Zook, who was a hell of a coach. And to see them all put that aside and lot to me, it started on that tarmac after we lost to South Carolina at South Carolina in the locker room at Auburn because football. I don't think people give enough credit to the mindset. It's it's such a hard game and it's the ultimate team game. And anyone that does not believe that you need all working together, then you really never played or coached at a high level. To me, that was one of the ultimate teams.
1: We hope you've enjoyed this mini series, and encourage you to go back through our feed to discover other Gator Great specials on the championship runs for basketball, baseball, softball, and gymnastics. Also, be sure to check your podcast feed for new shows coming up soon. Until then, I'm Adam Schiff. Giving a special thanks to production assistant Eli Rosen and to all of you for tuning in to the latest installment of Gator Tales, Gator Greats.